Friends and comrades, thanks for checking in. We're back here at Highlands Bunker. Um, we're in the Shadow Rockford Tower. We're in the belly of the beast. We're behind enemy lines, and uh, we're still virtual. Uh, we're still going through uh, our plague here, and, and we're going to talk about sort of the ramifications of that in state government a little later on. Uh, but first, we want to have a nice conversation with uh, David Bentz. He is the representative from RD18. Uh, I looked at the map today, and I, I saw that it's, it's centered right around Christiana Mall. It's a Newark Bear area. Uh, that gives everybody a level set. And David has been sort of uh, very sort of involved in some of the uh, coronavirus response legislation, even though we're doing everything remotely. So I want to uh, thank you for coming in. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, yeah, all these start out with uh, a little background. So where did you grow up? What was it like? Uh, how'd you get into the, uh, the public service thing? Yeah, so I actually, I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, and somehow I still managed to get elected in Delaware. It's not always easy to do if you're not from Delaware. But uh, no, I grew up in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and kind of a rural area of Lancaster. Um, you know, grew up right there, same place for all the way through high school. I uh, went to undergrad in Pennsylvania as well, um, got involved with politics and, well, not politics so much, but government and public policy. When I was a uh, undergrad, I started studying one field, didn't take to it too well, so I switched to political science after my sophomore year, about midway through my sophomore year, and did that instead. had a couple internships in Pennsylvania state government, one with a, a legislator out of Philadelphia, and then one with a lobbyist who is a former lieutenant governor there in the, in the following summer. And um, when it came time to uh, my senior year was 2008 to 2009. So obviously there um, was a bit of an economic calamity going on at that time. And I and was starting my senior year and looking at what was going on and figured probably weren't going to be a whole lot of jobs for somebody like me um, coming out of undergrad with a you know a liberal arts degree so I thought you know I kind of had the luxury that maybe some people don't have which was you know I just keep going to school for a little while longer get a master's degree and kind of see where things stand two years from now um, so that's what brought me to Delaware I went to University of Delaware then for my master's degree uh, in public administration and when I was at uh, University of Delaware then I did a program called the Legislative Fellows Program um, which is like a research internship sort of job in legislative hall. I did that both years when I was a grad student. And then that, that's basically what started my career. I've been working in Lake Hall ever since. I'm about 10 legislative sessions in now, um, two of them as a fellow and then four as a legislative aide and now four as a uh, state legislator right after I was aide for four years and then where I live the guy uh, who had the seat before me his name was Mike Barbieri he got appointed by Jack Markell to run uh, DSAM and there was a special election and I ran for the seat in the special election and um, 
got in, got in. I had, you know, just recently started to get involved in Democratic Party politics at that time. And uh, I remember the guy we were losing here, who was the state rep here, I worked for him when I was a legislative aide. I worked for four different legislators at various times when I was a legislative aide. Um, but I worked for him uh, just recently. At the time, I was working for him and uh, Representative Kowalko. And um, when he got that appointment, I was kind of working with the local RD, was thinking, who's going to run? for the seat, who are we gonna to get to do this in such short notice with a special? And then I uh, had some conversations with folks within the party and they basically said, why don't you do it? You seem like you'd be a good candidate. Um, I never really thought I'd make a good politician, but one of the good things about running in Delaware is you don't have to communicate sort of in mass media sort of ways, at least not when you're running for state rep. So I thought if I went out there and talked one-on-one -on -one with people at their doors, that would be a, a way that I could kind of demonstrate to people that I knew what I was talking about, even though I was 29 years old, um, and hopefully leave a good impression. And then, you know, that was what um, we entered into, and we were able to win the special, and here I am. Yeah, so you um, you went through the process, uh, and you said you, uh, you listened to Saran's episode that we just dropped today. Yeah. Um, so you did the Route 1 football. You went straight up the you went straight up long ball right at the goal. Sure. Um, so what was your, what was your sort of feeling about that when you were doing it, when you were a younger guy and you were seeing sort of the machinations and the, what did Saran say? It's a sausage being made. Like what was your feeling about it? I mean, you mentioned that sort of when the, when the party came to you and was like, well, why don't you run for this since the current rep is, is going to be appointed to the, the governor's, staff like what was your feeling since you you i mean you you had worked in that environment and with those folks for a period of time so you must have had a sort of a reflection on that you know it, it's it's weird with, with saran as i actually i didn't specifically take saran's job when he stopped being a legislative aide there was i think two or three of them who left around the same time and i think saran had gone to work for carper was where he was going i think that's where he was going uh and then they hired about three of us simultaneously as new legislative aides. And it was part of him, Saran leaving was what opened up the job for me in the first place to get in there. And another guy I was hired with was named uh, Eugene Young, who's become fairly popular in Delaware as well. He and I were hired together as legislative aides and seeing it. I mean, I think there's a perspective that this gives me is I've basically seen leg hall function from kind of the lowest level as like a student fellow all the way up to, I mean, I'm not at the highest level yet. I'm not like the speaker or the pro tem or anything like that. I'm not um, running the, the place, but I'm seeing it now as an elected and I've kind of seen my way up that, that order. And, and there's definitely, it is definitely a, a, there's sausage being made there. It's, it's, it's not the cleanest. It's interesting. You know, it's not, it's, you're never bored when you're there. Um, but I do think it's been, you know, I like to think I, I, I've passed a lot of pieces of legislation and I think seeing it from all levels and when you're staff, you kind of quietly sit back and watch 62 people do this job and you kind of see the ones that are good at it and successful at it and the ones who kind of aren't. Um, so it can sort of give you some training as terms of like, well, I've seen this person be very successful and achieve a lot of their goals and this person constantly be met with defeat and maybe it kind of helps you figure out how you're going to do this. 
uh, work within this sort of convoluted and completely sort of inefficient system to try to get some results for people. Well, you, you, uh, you led me right into what I wanted to ask you next, actually, because uh, you mentioned uh, working for Kowalko for a period of time. And, and then you mentioned sort of like learning uh, what works and what doesn't. And so I'm interested in your, um, your feelings about being a dissonant um, because I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, Kowalko serves a per certain purpose. Um, but a lot of uh, the, the, I guess the conventional wisdom is that that particular strategy is completely uh, unproductive. I don't agree with that necessarily, but you, you have a, a, a pretty interesting perspective on it. Um, you know, what, what, what is your feelings on sort of being a firebrand and, 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 and being that one person who dissents? You know, I saw today, for example, or was it today? I'm losing track of time in the quarantine. Um, but uh, that, that the, the phase four sort of uh, COVID uh, benefits act was voted th through the house, uh, but uh, AOC was the only person to dissent. And it made me think of Kowalko, obviously. Um, so what's your feeling about that? What's your feeling about the way he, um, the way he does his business and the way he does his job because it's very unique and uh, a lot of people don't understand it. And I wonder what your perspective is on it. So there's the legislature really is kind of the sum of its parts and everybody brings something to the table. Um, John and I have completely different, I would say styles and how we go about doing this. Um, He's very unique. But the, yeah, that's, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a firebrand. I would never classify myself as such. And I don't think anybody who's ever sort of gotten to know me or watched me work in this would classify me as that way either. Um, but you do need, and what, one thing I always appreciate about John is, is he, he's like, as somebody, I, I do view myself as a progressive and, and I don't, I don't want to get in the way of making progress for, you know, I'm not one who's like trying to let a good deal go by in pursuit of the perfect deal. Um, especially when I don't see the perfect deal as being achievable. Um, but what John does is he constantly pulls us, I think in the direction we need to go. He makes sure we're thinking about things the way we need to be thinking about them. Now that, you know, he's, he's not somebody who's, 100% satisfied with things all the time, but he's kind of a check on that. Like he's kind of, if I find myself veering towards, uh, we just need to make a deal here. We need to get something done here. He kind of is that pull to say, you know, make sure you're not forgetting sort of where your priorities need to be and where they should be. Um, and I know that that's been incredibly helpful for me at times because I'm, I'm somebody who really, I, I, it just drives me nuts if I, if I spend a whole bunch of time working on something and then don't have anything to, to deliver. Um, it feels kind of like that time's been put to waste. Um, so I, I, one of my, if I have a fault, it maybe is that. Maybe I'm just pushing to try to make sure I deliver something. And people like him who speak like him kind of keep us on point in terms of making sure that we're, what we're doing is actually going to be beneficial to as many people as possible and whether it's going to be as beneficial to the people who we should be looking out for the most. So he's kind of that voice of, you know, remember 
we're Democrats, we're progressives, whatever it is, remember who we're supposed to be working for. And he is a constant reminder of that. And that's what's what I, the role that I think he plays. I, I don't know if you would agree that that's the role that he plays, but that's when I'm sitting in a caucus meeting with him. Um, that's what he's doing for me, at least, and, and what I get from what he says at, at those sorts of settings. And, and that's where the, the real value I see in that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think what you said is exactly right because it's the most difficult sort of part of it. If you're looking for, I'll give you an example, of just using myself or people like me. Like if, if you're looking for a victory or you're looking for uh, an opportunity to be like, hey, we got all this done. You know, that's, that's good. Somebody needs to be productive. Uh, but the other thing is like, there needs to be uh, a movement. There needs to be somebody who level sets, who says this is actually the direction we should be going in. And it really doesn't matter if I, if I quote unquote lose, you know, if I lose this one, actually it's okay because I'm making an argument that needs to be made. And, and my role isn't necessarily to like whip a bunch of votes and negotiate. My role is to kind of illustrate what the argument is and then I'll vote however I vote strategically or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do, uh, you know, I'll, I'll involve myself in the machinations of this legislation, however I need to, but really what I need to do is show everybody what the real argument is. And so I, you know, he's my hero. I said, if he ever ran for uh, governor, we would run the campaign out of this, out of this uh, studio. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that kind of stuff is really important. And the reason I think it's important is because I don't think there are a lot of people who are doing it. Um, you know, I think the state is replete with folks who sort of, quote, want to get things done. But then what gets done um, isn't necessarily uh, productive, doesn't necessarily move the needle in a particular way. So, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I agree with that, with that, uh, yeah. that assessment of him, yeah. You run that balance between you don't want to you want to deliver something to people because that's what they expect you to do, right? Your constituents expect that the people expect you to not just go about there and talk about problems, but to actually deliver something to do something about the problems that you've identified. And this is what this is what drives me nuts about Congress is they kind of just keep the same issues are have just been existing forever, and, and they talk about the issues, but they don't actually seem to do a whole lot about it because people do at a certain point expect you to start passing bills to do something to address the problem. But to, to your point, it's, you can't just do something just for the sake of doing something and then pat yourself on the back if it doesn't. Yeah. Actually. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, people say that there's an expectation that you, that you pr produce X or whatever. And you, and there's some way you can, you can say that I've delivered this thing. Um, but, I'll be honest with you, and, and I've talked to you know, elected officials in the General Assembly, and I ask them sort of what, what do you think, what would you say your accomplishments are? And some of them have only been there two years or four years. Some of them have been there longer, to eight, ten years. Uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, when they tell me what their accomplishments are, I'm underwhelmed. Yeah. And so a lot of people say what you say, that they want to be able to deliver this thing, but 
when I asked them, like, what, what do you think that the whole, not, not just, not personally, not one person, but what do you think the General Assembly has delivered for the state of Delaware? Uh, what do you think your accomplishments are? And I, it's, I'm hard pressed. Yeah, I think it's, a, there's a couple of things I would say about that is I do think it's, it's a bit like, it's kind of like the frog in a pot of water where you slowly turn up the temperature and when it goes one degree at a time, you can't really tell anything's happening, but then suddenly the, the pot's boiling. Um, so I do think that basically what I'm describing there is incrementalism, which I know drives some people nuts. But if you look, generally speaking, you know, I, your criticism is well taken in a lot of ways. One of the things that I kind of wish we did things a little bit differently, and I've seen how things function in, say, like Pennsylvania, which isn't the the way Delaware does things. It's kind of like this collegiality exists that, um, well, I think is important. I think it's maybe emphasized too much as as, as it's prioritized too much. Um, I, I do wish that sometimes there was uh, a little bit more of a bold boldness to it all, this ability to sort of try to move faster in a certain direction. And I think incrementalism wins the day basically nationwide all over the place. But I think especially in Delaware, because there is this drive to like not upset the apple cart, not undo the status quo in a certain way, which what I mean by that is Democrats have basically been in charge for a decade now. And if we don't, we don't want to do too much to upset that and potentially lose that. Um, you know, and I think it maybe sometimes stops us from adopting sort of a bold vision and really pushing the envelope in a certain way that quite frankly, I think we have the cover to do. I think that, you know, some of these things, I don't think there would be a huge political cost to maybe moving in a more aggressive direction. Um, but there's a fear that there would be. And I think yeah, that, and I, that's I, I, kind of stops some things from, from happening. And, and I do think that, when when you say kind of like what what have you done? I, I I my response to that would be as I think I can see why it would maybe be hard to notice from session to session, but I think more in totality you would have seen a lot of movement on issues that are pretty important to people, whether it's you know something like attacking the opioid epidemic, uh, criminal justice reform, um, and things like that. I do think we've had you know we've expanded Medicaid and, and made that those programs work a little bit better. So I do think it's it's incrementalism, and I know that drives some people nuts, but that's how this has worked, at least as I've seen it in the last 10 years I've been there, is there haven't been these sort of massive overhaul, massive steps taken, but there's been a lot of little ones that I think have added up to, to being an improvement. I think we're in a better place now than we were 10 years ago, if that's worth anything to you. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, certainly uh, the alternative is bad so yeah yeah i think so um you know i don't know i guess it's it's difficult because my disagreement is not only the pace that change happens which is slow to the point of unacceptable like we have to argue like is 10 years for incremental change enough okay well we can have that you know we can talk about that um my I guess my sticking point is like, are we even, do we even measure success the right way? You know, are we, are we doing the things that are going to sort of help the most people uh, to diminish, to, to address the most suffering to like, are, are we doing that kind of stuff? Or are we just like, 
running the corporation that is the state. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of complicated feelings about it. You know, like you said, obviously any kind of incremental change is good. You know, if we can do, you mentioned um, criminal justice reform. That's the thing that most people bring up. And yes, we have, I have to be honest about that. We have made strides in at least accepting that. But, and maybe this is a good time to ask this question, and I, and I, I hate to get into sort of the, the, the situation of our plague uh, in this sort of direct fashion, but, you know, things are happening now that we can sort of address as you have with vote by mail, uh, and I want to get into that, but we also have a situation, for example, I'll give you an example, where inmates in our correctional institutions are going to die uh, in the next, but some of them have probably, uh, but more are, uh, of coronavirus that are either old, uh, nonviolent, uh, maybe they haven't been convicted of anything because of bail, uh, they, you know, I mean, how many of those people have to die before somebody decides that like, like action is important and, and, and believe me, and I do want to get to this vote my mail thing. Cause I think that's important. And I think a lot of the things that the governor's doing is important, but it really sticks in my craw that nobody is looking at like at Demadius and, 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 and Carney now and saying people, you know, old, sick, nonviolent people who haven't even been either indicted or charged are going to be, uh, are going to be stuck in a situation that's going to be dangerous because nobody will step up and, and do anything about that. And that's the difference. It's like we can, do, we can do these things or we can do something that's really going to have an impact on something. I mean, I don't know. I, w- I don't know what your feeling is about, about that particular thing. I definitely want to get into the other legislation, but – that 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 particular thing has been sticking in my in my crawl a little bit. Yeah, that's that's a I think that that's a fair. Um, I, I will go back. I think some people and and I you you all can fact check me on this, but I think some people have been released. Uh, maybe some people who are waiting um, sort of preliminary hearings and things like that that have been delayed. So I do think there's been some of that. Um, I guess the question is with some of these other folks, and and I don't disagree that. Um, you know, we could probably let a lot of sort of nonviolent folks out is, um, you know, what, what happens to them when we let them out? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's probably, there's maybe a little bit more nuance to that situation than that, than just say, okay, if you're uh, an inmate over 60 and you have, you know, a, a nonviolent offense, that's let you, we're just going to let you out. I think that there's maybe some challenges about that and what that would look like. Well, I have read, here, here's the thing I've read that um well number one i think i mean i don't know what you think i obviously anywhere but stuck inside right with 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 people who you cannot social distance from who you don't have you have no ppe you have no mask or gloves or anything mm-hmm. so i i think everyone was anywhere else is preferable from a, a disease standpoint right um and I think this idea that that like inmates 
or people who are wait, awaiting trial or awaiting indictment or pe- like that, the idea that they have nowhere else to go or that what's the alternative? We don't know. I mean, we do know. I mean, these people have families. Mm-hmm. These people, I mean, they know people. They're not, they're not off on an island. Right. And so I just, it's very difficult for me to like, like, well, what, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I do know what to do. Just let them go. Yeah. I mean, even if they, even if they, even if they were had a difficult situation, it would be better than living in a cramped, confined, no social distancing, you know, death trap. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. I guess the challenge that I have is I don't, I don't necessarily feel qualified to offer sort of a definitive, strong opinion on the issue because I haven't spoken to say, the you know corrections office you know what i i i into that i I appreciate that i i actually here's the thing i appreciate that that's but i don't necessarily think you have to be qualified i don't think there's a qualification like it's a little bit nerve-wracking for me or, or frustrating for me because i have these conversations with folks all the time and every time i go off on one of these rants somebody says you know Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I think what you're saying has a lot of truth to it, but I haven't talked to somebody. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Like, I don't know whether you need a special like, degree or you need special experience to know that during the time of a plague, stuffing people in a, in a room with no PPE and no social distancing because they're, we said they're criminals – I don't know whether you need like a special uh, knowledge. I don't know whether, I don't know who you would talk to, uh, to get like, uh, you know, to get the academic position on that. I mean, who, who would you, if, if, if you wanted to know like what we should do, who would you go talk to? Like the corrections people seem to just want to pe- keep people in prison. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it's the it's more what would challenge what I find would find challenging about that is the case by case nature of it, um, and understanding like you can't you can't I could see why you would have trouble applying sort of a blanket one size fits all approach to these folks, um, and how do you kind of go about the due process of it all of on a case by case basis? I think would maybe be a challenge, but I you know in terms of getting people out of there or making sure that, you know, we, we just talk about terrible timing. We actually just changed healthcare providers inside of our prisons, like within the last, like this quarter. And, um, you know, they're, they're entering into our prisons and, and I'm hearing, you know, that uh, some of our early dialogues with them was basically that they felt confident that they could provide all healthcare to prisoners short of needing to ventilate a prisoner. That if a prisoner deteriorated to the point where they needed a ventilator, that they had to go to the hospital, but that everything else was care that they felt confident they could deliver within the existing sort of health facilities in the prisons. Um, there's never a good time for this, but we, we're literally just breaking in a brand new healthcare provider in these uh, prisons. And it, it is like, you know, I, I see that as, as being do we take their word for it at that point? If they're saying, you know, with confidence that, you know, we feel like we can take care of these people short of ventilation, especially when we just gave the contracts to them. Like, I I don't know how confident are we in these people? If it was the last folks, I would have even more concern, I think, 
in a lot of ways because there was a reason why we made a change there um, because there was this history of just getting bad outcomes for a lot of these folks. But, uh, you know, how do you approach this on, so I guess my two points would be, how do you approach this on a case-by-case -case basis and making sure that you're not uh, doing anything you're, you're gonna regret later? And two, to what confidence do we put in the people who are telling us, we do feel confident that we can deliver the healthcare needed short of this one thing, which is really the worst case scenario for a lot of these people. Yeah, I guess it's fair. I would say that, um... You know, I, I would hope that a, a, a medical contractor wouldn't, like, feel bad if, if the state said, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you feel like you can handle what you need to handle. That's good. I, but it doesn't change the fact that we should, we should be trying our best to ameliorate the stress on that system. And of course, the case by case basis thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a political concern that you're going to let somebody out who does another crime and that gets in the paper, the old, the old Michael Dukakis thing. And well, I, I, it's not just a political concern. I mean, if that were to happen, there'd be a victim there too. And, and of I, course, I, but, I, but it wouldn't be, but, but uh, yes, but it wouldn't be anybody's fault. Like somebody could say it's your fault, but, but also you could say, look, we had a, a, a situation in this state that was unprecedented and people were dying mm -hmm. and, let, and, 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 and implementing a program to, put, to, to release uh, nonviolent elderly or ill or people who hadn't been convicted of a crime yet out did more help in saving people's lives than a one-off of somebody going and doing another thing. Like, I'm not diminishing the fact that if that happened, it would be bad. I'm just saying that that's, I would call that coincidental. That's the difference. Like, I'm not diminishing it. I don't think that that's anybody's fault. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, we've, we're really... We're approaching this point where we're going to start talking in circles around each other. No, that's fair. I, I do think I do think we're 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 pretty much on the same page. I think in terms of you know I I would like to see us take a more aggressive approach to this. Mm -hmm. I just uh, I, I'm not one to. One of the things that the politicians do a lot of is is they're they're very confidently wrong a lot. Like they they you know we we have a president who's telling people to drink bleach to solve coronavirus and <laughs> you haven't you didn't drink bleach today i didn't no um i didn't either <laughs> but he delivers it with such gusto and such confidence i mean he says this like this is absolutely true he's, he's the worst case scenario of it he's like the the most egregious offender but it's not like a new thing where politicians just come in and say i have the answers and i i'm very confident that everything i'm saying is right uh, i don't do that which is why maybe you'll see me it sounds like i'm hedging a little bit but it's like I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how to do what it is you're saying you think we should be doing. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. We should be doing no, it, but I'm not a corrections expert. I've, I've never really been one. I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I haven't been involved in criminal justice systems myself, or I don't have family in there. And, and it's, uh, you know, I'm hearing from constituents actually who have family members in there who are concerned about this. I've had a couple of those, but you know, I haven't, um, 
I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm some sort of an authority and say, yeah, that's fair. we can do everything that you're saying we need to be doing and we can do it tomorrow. And there's no excuse why we haven't done it. I'm just, no, that's, I, yeah. I, th I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah. And some, I, I had a conversation with somebody in here who had a, 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 a family member in the same, in a situation that was sort of like this. And, you know, they, I, I was already sympathetic to this sit to this cause. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no, you know, you can't push a button and make anything happen. Uh, it's just, uh, it's more of a concept. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And I guess I'm, I'm pushing this button myself because it seems like one thing that the state government, whether it be bureaucrats or elected officials seem to have the desire to do is make criminal justice reform and, and listen to criminal justice reform. So if, if that seems like the area where people are open to listening to um, really strong arguments, I'll make those. And I think that's sort of where I'm at with this one, especially considering the situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, what, what you said is, 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 is fair. Um, so, yeah, so let's, let's talk about more uh, legislation that is coming up because of the, uh, the COVID and uh, our plague and the shelter in place and the quarantine and all that. Uh, the, the, the one that I've seen that you work on the most is maybe I'm wrong, but the vote by mail. Uh, I know that I was able to vote in the national primary by mail because uh, there was uh, uh, not an injunction, but the legislation passed to, allow people to get absentee ballots because of a sickness, which is just sort of a, a workaround. Yeah. Um, but what are we working on for the, the next primary and also the general election? When, uh, who have you, how, what, how do you think that's going to go? And, and when is that going to come into effect? Well, um, so I don't know how it's going to go. Um, Fair. You know, I, I here, I'll give you a sort of an inside, uh, this is, this is information that other, other people don't have, but I'll give it to you as um, we have obviously been out of session now for, I think we've missed 15 days of session in total in this whole time. Um, I have felt particularly frustrated by this and, and not because I think that there's an easy way to get us back into session and we should be doing that, but I felt like um, the way the tool that I have to fix problems is by passing bills. And that for at least the time being has been taken away from me in a lot of ways. I'm a legislator. I'm not a bureaucrat. I don't work in the administration where you have all these tools at your disposal. We, I'm a legislator. I pass bills. That's how I fix problems. Um, and being out of session for a while, I, I sitting, I'm sitting around thinking, you know, what can I do? And so many of the things that we can do, the governor has just kind of done on his own because he has these broad emergency powers. Um, and he was able to, I guess, fix the presidential primary in a lot of ways by delaying it. And then through his executive orders, allowing everybody to vote by absentee. Um, one of the things I thought was, this is a problem. We had this existing bill out there that had vote by mail, but it had this effective date of 2022. Um, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I, there, there's so many things I want to do. You know, I wanted, I thought, you know, we have to do something and there was a lot of 
consensus of, of a lot of my colleagues that, you know, we had to put in protections from evictions. We had to put in protections from foreclosures. We had to make sure that people could get tests and all that kind of stuff. And so many of this, the things that we thought as a group, if we were in session, we'd be passing bills to do this. The governor was just kind of able to do on his own. One of them that I thought he can't do, at least not right now, is institute vote by mail on his own for the September primary and the November general. So I threw him, I just threw an amendment out there and I took that effective date off of 2022 and made it 2020, or I think I made it um, immediately upon governor's signature was the effective date of that. And that would, it was, it was, so I have all these things, I'm sitting, I'm sitting around thinking, you know, what can I do? My, my ability to pass legislation right now is gone, at least for the time being. Um, but this is something I can do. I can at least file this amendment that would give us the ability to pass vote by mail whenever we do come back. And we will have to come back at some point because there's things that we have to do constitutionally. And this way we're teed up at least to do this uh, if we find we have to do it. And there's a lot of challenges about that because it's possible if we're under a state of the same state of emergency in September and November that we won't need a bill. The governor can just do the same thing for those elections that he did for this one. But if we're not, if things go well and we're not under a state of emergency in September and November, then his powers to do that kind of go away. So from my perspective, the easiest thing we could do is just pass this bill with the amendment. And then it wouldn't really matter. We wouldn't be sitting around waiting to see if we're under a state of emergency and if the governor can do the same thing he just did with this presidential for the other one. It would just nip, nip this in the bud. So I just kind of thought, you know, this is something I can do. I can do it right now. Um, and it'll give us a chance to actually fix what's going to be a very serious problem that is maybe outside of our control in a lot of ways. I'm not going to sit around and, and there's things government can do to limit the impact of this virus, but it can't get rid of it. So it's going to be percolating to some extent in September and November, whether we like it or not. It's not going to be gone, but whether there's you know, a thousand active cases in Delaware, whether there's 10,000 active cases in Delaware, we don't know what that's going to be. Um, so I think it's probably prudent to go ahead and pass this whenever we do come back, which will happen. Um, it'll, I'm sure it'll be controversial in the sense that it, there won't be bipartisan support for it. And, you know, I, I can't, I haven't talked to Republicans about this, but I, I have trouble seeing at least any sort of I'm not saying none of them will vote for it, but I have trouble seeing any sort of unanimity amongst them for it. Um, but it's certainly something I think we should do. Uh, I think we owe it to people. I think this primary is serving as kind of a test run for how it can work. Uh, Department of Elections, I'm pretty sure, is, would be confident being able to pull something like this off. Um, it, it wouldn't even, it would actually work pretty similar to the absentee process because you'd actually have to request it. The way this bill is written is it's kind of designed to be the best of both worlds or if you're somebody who still just wants to vote the traditional way and go into the polling place on election day you can do that they're still be open but it'll have this ability for you to request a vote by mail ballot um so it really even you know if we get to to september and november and everything's fine and people can still just go to their polling place if they want to um but this will really i think is if there's a essential COVID-19 package of bills that the General Assembly has to pass, uh, this should absolutely be part of it. 
So are, are you, what, what, what is the uh, status of bringing the General Assembly back into session? I think when, when I, the last time I checked, which might have been last week when uh, we exchanged some correspondence, it, it was next week. Uh, is that happening? So that's not happening. No, no, we're not. We have no official date we're back. It's, it's an indefinite suspension of session at this point. Okay. Has there been any discussion of like, if we have to go back, what, you know, how, how we might do that from a, a safety sort of health and, and distancing standpoint, or are you just in a, in a complete holding pattern? We don't know. I, I know that's being worked on. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to do that because there's an eventuality, whether we, you know, what we do beyond what's constitutionally required of us, we're going to have to go back at some point. Um, whether we go back in June, May, whatever it is, we're going to have to go back because we have to pass, we have to fund the government. So we have to have a budget bill, we have to have a bond bill, and we have to have a grant aid bill. Um, so there's going to be a need for us to go back into session before this situation passes. So I know that they're looking into figuring out how to do a virtual session. Uh, all of our staff right now is pretty much working from home. Leg Hall is pretty much empty. Um, you know, it's not that we're not working. I, I'm probably in more communication with my assistant and our staff than I was before this, um, just because there's so much constituent work to be doing right now. Um, but nobody's in the building itself. So it becomes how do you get a pretty sizable group of people together in that building or virtually? How do you kind of make that work? Um, and I know that they're trying to figure out a way to do that. Other states have figured it out. I think that there's obviously a way to do it. It's just a matter of how are we going to do it um, is, is what's left to figure out. So I know that they're, they're trying to do it because we have no choice but to figure out how to do it because there's certain things that bills that we have to pass. So it becomes when that is and how much do we do outside of what's required of us when we do go back. And, you know, personally speaking, I, I think that there's a lot more we can and should do than just those three money bills. Yeah, I guess. Uh, how do you think that would work? I mean, there was other, there was other business that people were discussing, obviously. Um, how, how do you think that would even, how, do, you, do you have a particular sort of idea of how that would work? You mean like a virtual session? Either a virtual session yeah. or vote by proxy or vote yeah. by vote remotely or I, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know. So unless yeah. things drastically improve over the next month and a half, I think it would have to be virtual. Um, and I understand the challenge that that's posing for the people who have to make that decision, which is basically the, the leadership of the chambers. I mean, let's, let's be honest with that. That's a public building where i'm sure you've been there before i'm sure you've gone to to do some sort of advocacy in the past but i've been i've been in there yeah if, there, if there's a particularly controversial thing like if say if we threw a uh a vote by mail bill out there that we found out that conservatives thought was like a voter fraud get illegal immigrants to vote for democrats like trojan horse bill there would be a lot of people who would feel the need to show up and tell us why we shouldn't do that and how do you kind of handle an influx of public involvement over something like that. It is a challenge. And how do you deal with the fact that, um, you know, I, 
I'm 34 years old, but let's be honest, most legislators aren't. Um, most <laughs> legislators are, would probably fall in that age bracket of, of folks that should probably be staying home more than others. You definitely, you, you bring down the uh, average age. There's yes, no question I'm about sure. it. I'm not the youngest, but I, th- I definitely trend younger. Um, so so th- there's a lot of the staff that we have there because a lot of the work that does take place in that building is part-time. A lot of the staff that we have are, are retired or retirees. So there, there's a, uh, a real challenge, I think, too, that I do appreciate that our, our leadership's in to figure out how to make this work. Um, and what form it will take, whether it's some sort of a hybrid where there's some people in the building and everybody else is at home, whether it's everybody is doing it virtually. There would have to be some element of it that's virtual and and it would most likely have to be done with a lot less people in the building taking part in the process the way they typically do. So, you know, lobbyists wouldn't have the access they do. And I know right boohoo, the lobbyists wouldn't have the access they normally do. Um, but the public wouldn't have the access it normally does. And it would have to probably be done with a lot less staff to support the effort than it typically is. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm thinking like, yeah, the public wouldn't have access, but hardly anybody goes. Right. People, The people who go, I probably don't want them to go, so... <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I the appreciate ones who would watch it. online because I'm sure there'd be some way to make it uh, a public. Like, well, again, it's it, it's something, but it's interesting that this this itch, this issue just sort of came to the fore right before this uh, sort of uh, quarantine plague issue uh, about streaming things online. Uh, I'm glad it finally sort of came up, so people will start thinking about it. Seems probably about ten years too late, but. That's at least something people are thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> I, I, I would say I, 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 I appreciate like, yeah, you know, you know, you, you want it to be public. As you said, it's a public building. People right. should be able to get in there if they want to get in there. That's the whole point of it. But I also appreciate uh, the fact that this is a sort of a, there's no real precedent for this. I mean, there is a few precedents, but. Yeah. There's only there's only a few over literally hundreds of years. Right. Um so, you know, we're kind of in uh in, in uncharted territory uh so to speak. So, you know, who knows. Personally, I you know, we're, we're going to figure out a way to do it because again, we don't have a choice. Um I think the more important question that at least I have right now isn't to tell me how to do it. Tell me if you need me to go down the leg hall, lock myself in my office and then run downstairs and vote you know, when it's my turn and you, whether, so whether it's something like that, you need me to, to log on, I can log on and do it. I'm more concerned. My concern right now is more that I think there's more we should be doing than just passing three money bills and going home. And that to me is a more important question is what's the scope of what any agenda looks like when we do go back, because yeah, uh, there, there's more we can be doing. And a lot of, a lot of things can be in the budget like a lot of response efforts can be funded with programming it within a budget and budgets can touch all kinds of issues but there's there's certain things that you know i want to make sure and and to be honest there's things that are that are aren't necessarily COVID 19 related that are pretty close to getting done i mean i have a bill that we passed through the house and is in the senate right now that would you know cap insulin costs for people you know, I, I think that that's important. And should we not do that just because there's an outbreak and, and tell those people, you know, sorry for the next 
we're going to delay this for a year and the next year you're going to have to continue to keep struggling to pay for your insulin. You know, we could pass that now. We could, we could put that on, on a virtual agenda and, and the Senate could pass that if that, you know. So, so to me, the, the thing that I'm more worried about at this point is not necessarily the practicality of how we figure out a way to do it. I'm confident that we will because we don't have a choice but to figure that out. But it's what does the agenda look like? Do we just say, you know, we're, we're not going to do anything that's controversial because we don't want to have a fight under these circumstances, uh, you know, I'm less worried about the, I think we need to be doing the, the work that needs to be done. And that work may sort of expand beyond a direct COVID-19 related response because there's, there's good things that were on the table that we left on the table when we broke in, in February or late January that are still there. They're still important. They didn't stop being important just because of this outbreak. Now, are there frivolous little things that maybe we don't need to do? Sure. But if there was something sitting there that was going to help people and we believed it was going to help people in January, why wouldn't we still try to do it now? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So let's, uh, let's close out with maybe something a little bit controversial um, that is related to something that you talked about. So uh, vote by mail would, based on what you describe, impact the uh, primary that is scheduled for September. And I know that uh, on the docket is a lot of challenges within the Democratic Party. Jessica Rain. Uh, Marie Pinckney, Medina, Eric. Uh, we have, you know, just just tons. Do you think that you would get pushback from other legislators in your party? Because um, at making the election more open for everyone could potentially threaten all of the folks. Uh, Larry Lambert is another one. Uh, all of the folks who are looking to challenge establishment folks in their districts. Um, do you foresee or have you been already kind of pushed uh, on, on, on your position about vote by mail because of all of the interparty challenges in September. So I haven't heard anything from any of my colleagues to say this is a bad idea. Um, and quite honestly, I don't know how I, I don't know how anybody could confidently do that political calculus and figure out that vote by mail is going to somehow help an insurgent candidate over an establishment candidate. I, I don't know. I'm at the other way around. Would you get an, would, would it help? Yeah. Would it, uh, no, I'm sorry. Did you say an insurgent? Uh, I, I don't know how you could do the calculus to figure out who, who would be helped in a primary by vote by mail. I don't know how you could, I certainly wouldn't pretend to know that 
vote by mail in the Democratic primary is going to help an insurgent or an establishment candidate. I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would go about predicting with any sort of confidence that that a vote by mail is going to help a primary challenger as opposed to a, a sitting incumbent. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you do. I mean, I know Carl. I, I, I Carl don't know. I, I, this is actually a great, this is, this is actually a great, uh, a great conversation for Carl to get involved with. Yeah. I, I mentioned it only because for example, and then I'll, I'll say this part and then I, I love for Carl to chime in here. Um, you know, I, I look at your, uh, I think there was one challenge that you had within that was a general election challenge that there was a few thousand votes, you know, you win by a few hundred votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of these uh, RDs are decided by, you know, generally very few votes. And so any mechanism that would allow more vote, this is why sort of Republicans don't like more voting rights or vote by mail or early voting or whatever is because the more that you spread that agency out, the more that it threatens the people in power who generally just have a small uh, sort of, uh, you know, a small base of support. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that that's an argument that, you know, again, that, that Republicans make against Democrats. Would Democrat, would establishment Democrats make that against insurgent Democrats? And so it could be, it's the same sort of argument, but, you know, just, just, you know, scaled down within the party. Right. Um, again, Carl, are you, are you there? I am here. Yeah. So what, what is your feeling about this? So I think it depends on several factors and it's honestly different for each different race. Like for example, uh, I know Larry Lambert's race. There's a pretty big class divide in terms of like who his potential voters would be and who Ray Zickery's potential voters would be in terms of, uh, you got like the Ardens, you got that area sort of on the Western side, which is a bit more white and upper class, whereas you got Larry Lambert's base in Claymont, which is more black and lower class. Whereas, you know, expanding the base there, uh, getting more people to be able to vote would probably um, help Larry Lambert. Might not put him over the top, but it's theoretical. But we've also seen in the 2016 primary, or not 2016, 2020 primary, uh, with the presidential election in areas that actually, where the turnout went up in many states, especially on Super Tuesday, uh, Joe Biden actually did better because the types of people that were brought into the primary were sort of the suburban white people that uh, weren't voting for Democrats before. And so when turnout went up by a bunch, like in Virginia, I think that was a big thing, North Carolina, uh, Texas to a certain extent, though Texas was a weird case, uh, Joe Biden actually did better. So it's not a set thing in really any specific case. Like I think statewide, it's very unclear. Certain Certain areas like Larry Lambert's race, um, maybe Eric Morrison's race too. Medina's kind of, uh, that's a lot more unclear, uh, but it would depend. And honestly, it's a difference. So it, a lot of it depends on how available or what what's this all going to look like in September. And that's a whole other thing. Because like, are we going to be allowed to go outside? Are we not going to be allowed to go outside? Because um, then you could argue that if we're technically allowed to go outside, but the virus is still an issue, then you might get more younger voters who show up at the polls, and that might help progressives. Uh, and if you had vote by mail, that allowed more old people to vote, and that would actually hurt progressives. So it's very dependent on several factors. 
Yeah, that sounds fair to me. I mean, I, I think each race is going to have its own dynamic. I'll, I'll, I certainly think if you, if we remain under some sort of a, you know, canvassing isn't okay, obviously that's going to help. I mean, every day that, that these sort of, that, that uh, if you're challenging an incumbent every day that you lose and, um, you know, I'm going to maybe avoid talking about some of the, the primaries that, ha that are going to be occurring, but it, the same applies here. But if I, if we have people running for pickup seats, I think for us, and then, you know, if we have somebody like Stephanie Berry every day that she loses to not be able to canvas is hurting her chances to, to pull off a win. And every, every day that, you know, one of these candidates running up in the Senate district, the, I think it's the fourth Senate district that, yeah. you know, every day that they lose is a, is a, going to make it harder for them to to be able to pull off the win there so, so that obviously is going to be a huge role if it becomes like a certain thing where you know we'll let people go back out to work but nobody's going to answer their door to a stranger knocking on their door or you know you got to stay six feet away um you certainly can't touch a piece of paper and then leave it on someone's door and then walk away and you know i, I don't know how that's going to impact the campaigns themselves and how they have to function but if i was I know personally that when I ran, it was a, it was a special election, so that's part of the reason why the turnout was so low. But if if you had told me, listen, you just have to phone bank and you can't knock doors, I mean that that would have been that would have made the job a thousand times harder. It is the worst, I can confirm. Yeah, I mean the the whole the whole way you get somebody is to to get getting somebody face to face is just especially as a candidate. I think if you're a volunteer, it you kind of get, I've, I've volunteered on campaigns. People kind of, you know, they, they, they don't mind seeing you, but they don't really want to engage with you. If you're just a volunteer, if you're the candidate, that's when somebody will engage with you and decide in that five minute conversation, whether they like you and whether they want to vote for you. And if you lose that ability to do that, that's incredibly challenging. And that will certainly hurt any challenger to an incumbent if they can't go back to campaigning in that sort of retail style that, that we have in Delaware, which I think is great, that ability to like, you know, you can just uh, cancel out a lot of financial disadvantage you have over an incumbent just by hammering doors, just by being willing to just work and just, just work harder than anybody else. Uh, that, that's going to get taken away from a lot of these candidates if they're not allowed to go back to campaigning the way that, that uh, they're, they're going to have to if they want to win. Yeah, that's a way bigger effect than I think any sort of voting by mail system. Yeah, and that's what I and maybe it was, um, you know, uh, just wishful thinking that like, okay, well, maybe vote by mail will at least engage some people that wouldn't be engaged by, you know, the door not because the the things that the things that like activist leftist candidates need to do like meet people, <laughs> like I was, you know, it's it's just a it's just a, a completely. Uh, strange situation so you know you don't really know how it's gonna how it's gonna break out maybe i you know i'm just hoping it's just hope no it's, it's it was shaping up to be like you know and obviously i hope we can get back to normal as soon as possible um but this this has the opportunity this has the and i've talked to some of these candidates who are running some of these races and it's taken the the wind out of their sails quite a bit um you know so I hope we can go back to normal in a big way, partially for that. It's just so that we can go back to having a, uh, 
uh, this is what vote by mail is trying to protect in a lot of ways too, but going back to having a fully open process. And politics in Delaware, an open democratic process in Delaware involves people being able to, to hit the ground and knock doors because you can't have state reps and state senators can't buy into media markets in Delaware. You know, they, they run these campaigns, a full, a, a very, very well-funded campaign in, in Delaware for, for state houses, you know, not raising anywhere near the amount of money they would need to, to sort of take some sort of an aggressive media campaign online. Yeah. Well, um, we've come to a, a little over an hour and I appreciate it. Um, David, I wish you the best in this weird, weird situation that we're in. Um, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I, I have no idea how this is going to work out actually. Um, I, 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 I think that I, well, I hope that, uh, somehow we're able to, uh, get everybody back to leg hall in some fashion and at least sort of move forward in that way. But who knows? I have no idea. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get back to work in that way. Um, you know, I, I, you know, not trying to blow smoke, but you know, I, one of my motivations to get involved in this and to run and get elected was I, I felt like with my policy background, I could write bills and I could figure out ways through policy to fix some of the problems. And, I'll just tell you to, to be looking at the biggest crisis of my lifetime and to have that ability taken away um, has been really hard to deal with. And it's, it's kind of, you know, this is what you kind of sign up for and to kind of not be able to go back and do it at least in as aggressive a way as I would have liked to have been able to go back and do it has been really challenging for me. And I, I mean, I'm just getting, I, I'm home with two small kids. I'm just getting stir crazy too. So just please like, you know, let me, I'll work with some other kids in Dover and, and deal with that for a little bit. And, um, you know, you, you get frustrated, but then when it's taken away, you kind of miss it. Uh, so I'd like to get back there and be able to do some stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a situation where, especially people with kids, I, I, I know you, you're probably going stir crazy inside the house. Um, yeah, I, I hope everybody who's out there listening is uh, trying to deal with this as best they can. Uh, I know it's a bad situation, but uh, I think the best thing you can do is probably consider a patronage to uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. You should probably follow at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. It's, it's fun. I mean, you know, look, you're stuck in the house. You want to uh, talk about local politics. You can read the news journal or WDEL, but they're just going to give you what John Carney said, and that's probably boring. Uh, so uh, listen to us uh, talk to your representatives like David Bentz here from the RD18 uh, and try to stay up with it because I, I, have, I have a feeling it's going to get weirder. I'll, I'll leave this, and I'll just say is, is, this, is this is working. Social distancing is working if you're judging it by flattening the curve. I, I will tell you that the current situation we have in Delaware, I'm just going to leave your listeners with this, is we have one really challenging hotspot developing in Sussex County that is canceling out the flattening we're seeing in Newcastle and Kent County. The total number of positive cases in Sussex County will pass Newcastle County, if not in the next 24 hours, in the next 48 hours, certainly by the start of next week. There's going to be more positive cases in Sussex County than all of Newcastle County. This is working. 
Um, I know it's frustrating because everybody just keeps seeing that number go up, but we've got to, when we stabilize this, that's when we can go back to figuring out what to do next in terms of reopening and hopefully getting the legislature back. Trust me, I'm, I have some, some stake in this because I'm chomping at the bit to get back too, but you know, this is working in the sense of stabilizing it. There's just this one hotspot we're dealing with in Sussex County that's driving the numbers right now. And if we can get a grip on that, then we're, we're gonna find ourselves in a pretty good place, hopefully within the next month or so. But it, we're, we still have some time in front of us. Uh, yeah, David, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yep. And uh, when, when this is all over, I will invite you actually to the studio so you can come here and not do it in, in this way. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't get to see the bunker. I mean, what's the point of this if I don't get to see the bunker? That's fair. I've, I've told it, but I will tell you, I've told everyone who's had to do it this way, they will be invited to a, uh, to a real, to a real session. So I, I mean, I'm in my own bunker. I'm in a basement here. Um, we're Perfect. In the, we're in the shadow of Christiana mall though. Not. <laughs> you know I'm what? Sure. That's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to be on the lookout. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yep. Take it easy. From a from a communicative communicative a disease standpoint, right?